thanks to, to Andrew and the band, and uh, thanks for that key change, Andrew. If, uh, if you're like me, after that key change, um, the, the notes that you were singing sounded exactly the same as before the, <laughs> before the key change, so I, I, I like that part. Um, so my name is not uh, Kevin Bain. So if, if you're here this for the first time, and uh, perhaps you came to hear a great teacher by the name of Kevin, I need to clear that up right away. I am not he. Although I am a lot of things that, that Kevin is. I'm a human, and a, a husband, and a father, and a hockey player, a coach, elder, food lover, etc. But there are two very critical things that Kevin is, and I am not. The first one... Uh, is a teacher. Really, uh, Kevin is a teacher by trade. Actually, he was even the, uh, the big cheese teacher, you know, the, the principal. That's big time. And uh, I'm not that, just a beekeeper. And uh, this morning I will attempt to, uh, to teach, though. The second thing that Kevin is and I am not is in Florida. <laughs> so let's all boo. Come on. Boo. Seriously, though, uh, ev even pastors, uh, maybe even especially pastors, um, probably uh, need, a, need a break and some time away from work. And we really do wish Kevin and his family uh, a great time as, as they're uh, on the beach and watching some Blue Jays games. And, um, and Jeff, too, who uh, is also in Florida, really. Both of those guys. And I just actually learned this morning, too, that Josh was in Florida. And uh, so that's how it works here when... Uh, your three most prominent uh, staff members are away on holidays, then, then I get to preach. And uh, actually, Carol was going to preach, but it, she was in the worship team, so she, she couldn't, so it, you're stuck with me. Okay, uh, enough, enough nonsense. Uh, um, so I, I want to say that if you're new or visiting or not a regular here, uh, welcome. Thanks for coming, and we're glad you're here. As a faith family, we've been going through the, the book of John, and uh, we're doing it slowly but, but surely. And uh, we're, not, we're not skipping anything. We're, ju we're just going right from the text. And uh, we're, our goal is to, um, as a church, to stare into the teaching of Jesus and, uh, and to learn from him and, and to be obedient and to ask uh, Jesus, like, what do you, do you have for us in this text? In, in 2016, in Niagara, what are you saying to us in this text as a church? Not to look at the text and make it say what we want it to say, but just to stare into the teaching of Jesus and, and follow him. Because he's Lord and because we love him. Amen? So uh, I'm jumping into to this section of John. And this is the third Sunday that we're going to spend in the account of the, of the woman at the well. And um, we're, uh, Kevin, spent, Kevin spent two Sundays unpacking the, the first section of this story and, and really setting up um, the, the point of, of this story that, that John tells us. Um, so I guess the, the pins are kind of set up, if, if you will, and, and I get to, to knock them down, um, I hope. So thanks. Thanks, Kev. Uh, so some background here uh, quickly. Uh, Jesus is, and his disciples are on the way to Galilee. Why? Well, that was also a sermon from a few weeks ago, and, and uh, too bad if you missed it. But uh, they're, they're going to Galilee, and uh, they're going through Samaria. And so there's, there's a lot to say about this, but again, Kevin already covered that. And so, so here are the Coles Notes versions, I guess. Um, they're going through Samaria. They come to a town, and uh, it's noon. 
the disciples go to town to in, into the actual physical downtown to get some food. And uh, Jesus goes over to the well, and he meets a woman uh, who's there at, at an odd time to, to get water. Really, it's, it's noon. It's the hottest part of the day. Everybody else is, is, in, is uh, in their homes or with other families uh, reclining for the, the usual uh, noontime meal. And uh, what, what's more is that this woman has, as we learn, um, a reputation for uh, sleeping around, really, uh, quite a bit. And Kevin has already dealt with the, the meat of, w- of what's going on here and um, what, what takes place as, as Jesus and this woman relate to each other. Um, but we need to keep in mind as we, as we move into the last part of the story that um, the, the context. And we can't, we can't overlook the blatant disregard that Jesus shows for what's socially and religiously acceptable. I'm, I'm not exaggerating to say at all that many conservative Jews in this time didn't even speak to their wives in public. I'm not making up that, I'm not making that up, and much less even speak to a woman um, who is not even Jewish, not your wife, and what's more is that she's a Samaritan, and Jews didn't associate with Samaritans at all, and more so she had a woman who, she was a woman who was quick to, to jump into bed with, with lots of different guys. And so Jesus is hanging out with this woman at, at the well. Uh, it's, it's, it's really quite quite astounding and uh so kevin kevin went over their conversation but to sum it up jesus loves her we see jesus doing that all throughout the gospels he's he's loving the unlovable he's he's practicing love before law and in this situation um jesus is actually showing that loving this woman and giving her what she really needs is more important than doing what's considered right and really jesus is all about this redeeming reconciling love love that doesn't make sense in the world's standards so hang on to that and uh we we fast forward and and pick up the text uh at verse 27 of john chapter 4 uh if you're reading from your red pew bibles that is on page 753 so verse 27 Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman. Okay. So where where did they come back from? Well, from from buying food. So we actually have the makings of a pretty great scene here. And if I was directing a movie for the scene and I I wanted to add a little bit of comedy, um, I think I would probably film it like this. The well's on a hill uh, overlooking the city. And uh, the disciples are all walking back towards this well and Maybe they're on a footpath that some animals have made or people have made from walking back and forth to the well. And they're, they're in a line and they're, they're chatting amongst themselves and maybe finishing off the last bites of their food. And uh, whoever was in front, let's, uh, let's assume it was Peter, and uh, he, he puts his head up and sees Jesus talking to this, this woman. And uh, you know, maybe, he, maybe he, st- he, he stopped and then the other guys behind him kind of like went boom, 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 boom. Maybe, maybe it was like that. That would be funny, I think. But uh, may- maybe it didn't happen like that. But at any rate, the, the text says that they marveled um, that he was talking to a woman. And so they stopped their conversation at that point. Maybe it was a coincidence that they were finished talking. But anyway, they, they stopped their conversation, and the woman leaves and goes back to town. So here's, here's where we pick up the text. So the woman left her water jar and went away, into ta- went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town 
and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving the wage is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So, since Kevin is a good three-point teacher, and I know you all miss him, uh, I thought I'd do the same. Uh, so here are three points, or, or questions, really. And uh, if you know me, you know I like to ask questions, usually more than three. Uh, but when I googled how to preach a good sermon, uh, it said that I should have three points. And uh, Google's always right, so, so that's what I'm going to do. Okay, so the three points. Uh, what, does, uh, what does the woman do? Or, or what does she say? What does Jesus say? And what can we learn from Jesus? Pretty easy, right? Thanks, Google. Uh, so first, what does a woman do? This actually isn't a tough one to answer, um, but the implications are profound. She goes and, and she talks about her experience. You, you can see that in the text. That's it. She literally leaves the wa her water jar and goes back into town and says to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? What? Everything that you ever did? Really? I don't think he told her all of that. The disciples weren't gone that long. Clearly she's exaggerating. And then she's not even sure about who he is yet. Could this be the Christ? Okay, that's it. That's all we know about what she did. It's not much, is it? Well, really I think that's the point. And I want to come back to this. But for that you're going to have to wait until point number three. So, I'm already on point number two. What, what does Jesus say? And I, I just, I just want to go through it here, what it is that Jesus says, and after we look at the generalities of it, then we'll dive in a bit more and, and be attentive to what we can actually learn from it. So the disciples are standing there at the well beside Jesus, and they're like, teacher, eat. Come on, come on, come on, eat, eat, eat. Let's, let's not talk about what just happened. Come on, come on, eat something. And, and Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And so the disciples are like, um, did somebody bring him in some food? And Jesus responds with, with a few metaphors that, that we need to unpack a, a little bit. So first in, in verse 34, uh, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So what's Jesus mean here? He's telling them what I am satisfied by is to do what God sent me here to do. So what's that? Well, in this context, it's to do what he was just doing. While the disciples were out satisfying themselves with actual physical food, 
he was loving redemptively. Jesus was most satisfied by loving this unlovable woman who needed love badly, who needed him. She needed Jesus. He gave her love, hope, forgiveness, and purpose. That was his food. That was what Jesus found most satisfying, to do that. So he keeps talking in verse 35. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? He's, he's using a farming metaphor here to communicate what he wants his disciples to learn from him, and what is certainly a, a very teachable moment for them as well. Now, this, is, this was a familiar passage to me growing up. I'm sure I can remember hearing it many times, but I also have a memory of, of not really understanding what Jesus was talking about. So let, let's make sure that, that we're not doing that. What is it that Jesus means by all this? First, he says there's, there's four months and then the harvest. And it, it may or may not have actually been intentional that, that Jesus chose to use four months as, as his descriptor here. He might have meant that it was four months till the wheat harvest from, from this actual time, or that wheat harvest is, is typically four months from when they finish their, their, their sowing work in the field. But for whatever reason he chose to use four months, it's not crucial that, that, that he used that number. And that it's, it's not really relevant to the point that he's making, the actual number four. So let's not get hung up on that. Jesus then says, um, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. He's, he's, he's telling them this three times. Uh, look, look. And what, what's actually happening, happening here is he's referring to the people that are coming out of town and, and walking towards the well. He's saying, see, see that the people are coming. And these are the same people that the woman has just, just left just a little while earlier and, and told them that Jesus was there and they're, and they're coming to meet him. And they're, they're coming right then at that moment. So then he goes on in, in verse 36 and he says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Jesus is, is uh, literally referring to the fact that it is the woman who has gone and sown the seed, and now the disciples will have the opportunity to do the harvesting, even though they're not the ones who, who sowed the seed. It's the woman that Jesus had just spoken to. And so in this, in this context, verse 38 uh, actually becomes kind of, kind of self-explanatory. Okay. So that's the guts of, what, of what's, what's gone on here. And uh, so now we want to move on to what, what we can actually learn. So two things I want to focus on. And the first is that we need to use words. And in case you didn't pick up on it, the story is about saving the lost. It's not about farming. It's not about water or food. And it, it's not even about worship as is, is earlier in this text. It's primarily about sharing Jesus with people who need him the most. And crossing all of the man-made boundaries in order to do that. And words are used here to do that. So don't be fooled into, into thinking that you can lead people to Christ without opening your mouth and, and commending him. It's just, it's just not how it works. People need to hear the truth of who Jesus is and the story of, of his redemptive love. I want to look at Romans 10, verse, verse 17. And uh, it's on the screen here. So Romans 10. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the spoken word of Christ. And that, that word there uh, in the Greek for, for word is, is rhema. And uh, Brecht Cavey does a, does a really good job of, of explaining this. And that the Greek word...
word, so the Greek word for word is, is, is translated uh, rhema, word. And you might remember at the start of John that Kevin spent a great deal of time talking about the word logos. And that it, it's not the same word, but it's also translated into, into word in English. And our English word, word, does not really do a great job of conveying what logos means. That's the word, a capital W. It's, it's God himself, Jesus incarnate. But this word is not, is not that. This is rhema. And it means the spoken word. So Paul says that faith comes from hearing the word of Christ, the spoken word of Christ, hearing the message, hearing the story of Jesus. It, it's, it's literally saying that speaking out words about Jesus has the power and the ability to bring bring about faith in people. There's, there's power there in, in, in those words, the, the words, the message of Jesus. So that's what this means. So now, we look back at verse 39 in, in our text. Um, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to, came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed with them for two days. And many more believed because of his word. That word there is rhema. That's the, that's the same word as, as in Romans. So we can also see that, um, that the woman brought many people to faith. She was, so, she was doing the sowing. She was also using words. Jesus di- and Jesus didn't glorify either the, the sower or the reaper um, above the other. Back in verse 36, he says that there's joy for both women and reward. In, in his farming metaphor, he, he, he speaks of wages. And... I don't think that Jesus means that there's going to be a cash reward for you for, for sharing the gospel. But he's, he's talking about the joy, the reward is joy that we can have. I, I, th- I think it's hard to explain, actually. Um, you know, have, you ever, have you ever been there when, when someone for the first time sees their great need for Christ and, and puts their trust in him, sees his grace, and gives their life, gives their life into his hands? It's, it's so beautiful. And there's so much joy in that. And, and that's what Jesus means here. Sowing, a reaping, there's joy there. So when, so when we're sharing and speaking and, and commending Christ, we, d- we don't even know whether we're going to be the sower or we're going to be the reaper. We don't know. But it, it doesn't matter. It might take dozens and dozens of times of sowing good seeds into somebody's life before it, it takes root and brings about a faith in Jesus. But they can't know unless they're told. So we need to speak. Okay, uh, confession time for me. And it, it helps, I think, to be honest and transparent as, as we grow together. So here it goes. I'm often scared or hesitant to talk about Jesus with the people that need, him to, need to hear it. There. Anyone else? Come on. Be honest. I, I, I can tell you that it feels good to, 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 to get it out there. So here's my next confession. Um, I also believe wholeheartedly that that's preposterous. Why am I hesitant to talk about Jesus? If I believe that this book is true, that it, it doesn't really make any sense, right? This book says that Jesus is God, that he's the, the firstborn of all creation. He's the alpha and the omega, that he's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the bread of life. 
He's our creator. He's our good shepherd. He's the holy one. He's the great high priest. He's the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the son of the living God, full of grace and truth. He's the word of God made true. He's our sufficient sacrifice. He's supremely loving. He's supremely holy. And he's supremely gracious. That's who he is. And often we act as though he's just this guy that's begging for people to accept him into their lives. Just, just accept him. As if Jesus needs us. Jesus doesn't need you or me. We need him. We need Jesus. We need him so badly, and so does everybody around you that you know. We need Jesus. So with that, the second thing that we learn from this passage is that the harvest is urgent. This is the first point that Jesus is trying to make with his farming metaphor. It's now. The harvest is now. He's looking out over the fields, and he's seeing the people coming from town, coming towards him, and he says to his disciples, don't wait the four months. It's now. Harvest time is here. So is that what you say? Is that, is that what we say? Four months. Four more. Then I'll get to taking off that crop. Do we believe this book? Do we believe that that's who Jesus is? Do you, believes, do you believe that those who have not put their trust in Jesus and call him Lord are on a road that leads to a Christless eternity? So, so what do you say? When I'm out of school, then I'll get around to talking about Jesus and how he's the Lord of my life and how I love him and how I believe that the God who made me laid down his life for me to save, to adopt me as his child because I was incapable of saving myself. And he's so infinitely gracious that he did that for me. And he continues to pour out his love and his life into me. But do you say, I'm going to wait till I'm getting ready to talk about that. Like when I'm married. Then my spouse and I will do it together. As a team. Or when the kids are out of the baby stage. Or when they're out of the house. Or when I'm retired. Then I won't be so focused on making a living. Maybe it isn't like that. Maybe it's when I'm further along in my faith. When I'm more spiritually mature. When I finish reading that book on how to share Jesus. When this church gets its act together and repaves the parking lot. Or when they hire a community life pastor. Or when we actually start singing songs that I like. And when this building isn't so outdated. You know what? None of that matters. Not if we believe this book and if we love people. If we believe that this is true and we love others enough to care about where they spend eternity, then none of that matters. None of those excuses matter. And that's Jesus' point here. That the harvest is now. Pick now, he says. There's lots of things we're urgent about. We're urgent to make a bunch of money. We're urgent to get home on time. 
get their kids to bed so they can watch their favorite shows. Or origin to tell people how smarter kids are, how great they are at hockey. Or origin to get the yard or the house fixed up. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've given your life to him and submit to him as Lord, then I need to ask you this question. What is the pattern of the urgent sowing and urgent reaping in your life? Or is it not very urgent at all? The fact is, is that we're all on this farm that Jesus is talking about. When we walk out these doors, we walk out onto the field. And the harvest is ready. Ready. But rarely do we ask God to, to put us to work. There's always all those other things that I just mentioned that we pretend need doing first before we take off the crop. The person who rings in your groceries, the other parent on your, son, on your son's hockey team, your boss, your coworker, your neighbor. sister, your parents. Too often we just brush right back, right past these people, and we hide from them. Or we say to ourselves, I'll tell them when, dot, dot, dot. The woman at the well, she had nothing. She lived an overtly sinful life. What happens is she meets Jesus. She comes alive. She found who she's been looking for her entire life. And she just can't help but tell others about it. She doesn't do anything special. Remember when we were talking about what it was that the woman did back in point number one? Nothing really too special. She just goes back to town and says, could he be the Christ? She just shares what she knows, what she feels. And she does it right away. So th th that's my encouragement as we go into the field, to share what you know with the people who you know need Jesus. Don't do anything fancy. Just talk about Jesus. But in those words, there's the power to change lives. And, and Jesus is saying, do it right away. Don't wait the four months. So I recognize that, that these aren't easy words to hear. And it's likely that many of us are, are having very different reactions to this from, from each other. Maybe, maybe you're feeling convicted and you're like, yeah, you know, I love Jesus so much. And, and I believe this. And I'm really motivated to talk about him more. I, I just need to do it. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're like, Brian, you are such a jerk. I did not come here to hear a, a, a sermon like this this morning. Just stick to the text, would you? Or maybe you're like, oh my goodness, I hate talking to people. Much less people that need to hear Je about Jesus. Or maybe it's more like, yeah, I've tried that, talking about Jesus. And it doesn't work. People don't seem to care. Maybe I'm just not any good at it. You know, I can totally relate. But for some reason, it, it doesn't come naturally to most of us. And I, I think it's important that we, we talk about that together and hopefully le leave here on a positive note, motivated to talk about the person who's supposedly most dear to us. 
I don't think we should have this fear that we have to be skilled at, at, at telling people about Jesus. What we know about him and, and, and who he is. That it's kind of like saying, I, I'm not any good at telling people that I have a wife. It, it, it's not complicated. You know, we, just, we just talk about him. And the most important thing for us to remember is that it's not our job to try, and to, con- try to convince people that they're sinners and that they need Jesus. Yes, those things need to be said at, at certain times and, and in certain contexts. But, um, but Jesus is a real person. And as we introduce people to Jesus, Jesus is the one who will show them that he's real. Jesus is the one that who, who will convince them that, that he loves him and that they need him. Just like the Samaritans. Jesus was the one who showed them and and spoke to them that he was the savior of the world. Verse 39 to 42 explains this. Many people believed because of what the woman said. And so when they came and met Jesus, they asked him to stay. And then he did. And then others met him and heard his voice and experienced his redemptive love. And they too believed that he was the one that they were waiting for all of all of their lives. And and then um, he, they even said, now that, now, now that we met this guy, now we really believe. What, what you said was, was great, and, but now we've met Jesus, and we believe that he's the Savior of the world. So, so let's be like the woman. Talk about Jesus. Maybe, maybe you'll go to work tomorrow, and someone will be like, what did you do yesterday? Oh, yeah, you went to church, didn't you? And you're like, yep. Or you tell the guys that you play hockey with that you're bringing meals to people who are suffering with AIDS. And you talk about Jesus. Or maybe you're telling someone, I've been going through this really hard time in my life, but you know what, there's these people at my church and and we're like a family and and they've been helping me with it and maybe you talk about Jesus. In the normal conversations of our days, may Jesus be on our lips. And may it not be weird or awkward or boastful condescending remember Paul says to do this with gentleness and respect and we can ask God to help us right surely he wants to answer that prayer to take away our hesitations and our fears and just help us to talk about him it's as we experience his love towards us that we can in turn talk about I can't help my prayer is that as a faith family, we would be people who love Jesus and love to talk about him because he's so precious to us. Let's pray. Father, we, we recognize that we need you. Jesus, we need you so badly. Give you praise for, for loving us, for redeeming us, for giving your
being a Christian, part of being a follower of you is to, is to, to make you known, is to, is to share with, with those who, who we love, to share with them the, the deep hope and the, the profound joy and the, the, the eternal security and the, the joy in this world and the lifting of our burdens share with them the story of Jesus and how and how they too can can know him and so God we we ask Lord that that you would just help us Father that's why we're here I confess that sometimes we believe that it doesn't matter or that there's lots of time Give us a sense of it. Take away that sense. Cornerstone, may, may we be a people who, who love to talk about Jesus, who, who don't feel guilted into talking about Jesus, who don't feel like um, it's, it's one of the boxes that we need to check off to, to be a good Christian, but just that we would love to talk about Jesus because we love him. And so God, would you, would you help us with that? Would you fill us with your spirit? And as we go from this place, Lord, would you be a, just a great army of people, of ladies in your people, people who love you, people who love others, people who love God.